Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. Chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our entire family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which she examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org. Now, let's welcome our guests to this month's podcast. delighted to welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast two high school students from the Catlin Gable School in Portland, Oregon, Ave Gupta and Seth Taliansky. I have extensive bios for both of them, and I think it's so interesting. I think you'll find it interesting too, listeners, that I'm going to read both bios uh, back to back. Ave Gupta is 17 years old and interested in science, social entrepreneurship, and activism. Afi's lifelong passion for chess has led to numerous competitive successes and broader outreach efforts. His tournament career began at a young age when he won consecutive Utah State grade-level chess championships in 2007 and 2008, and then moved to Oregon in 2008 when he continued his success on the Oregon Scholastic Circuit before taking a break from chess in middle school to focus on science and robotics. Upon entering high school, his passion for chess was rekindled and he co-founded the Catlin Gable Chess Club with classmate Seth Taliansky and two other students. Avi has also been certified by U.S. Chess as a club tournament director. Outside of chess, Avi founded and leads Project 32, a student-run social startup that leverages the power of education and community engagement to tackle dental disease in youth. Avi's research on vascular disease and designing artificial blood vessels performed at Oregon Health and Science University, has been submitted to peer-reviewed journals and presented at national conferences. Avi was also selected as one of a handful of students to qualify directly for the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair in May of 2019. In his free time, and how could you have free time, Avi? In his free time, Avi loves to watch and compete in Jeopardy as one of 15 contestants selected for the June 2019 teen tournament. Seth Taliansky is 18 years old and has earned numerous chess distinctions. He became a U.S. Chess National Master and a FIDE Candidate Master in 2017. In March, he was ranked 17th nationally among players his age. He had strong results in tournaments domestically. In 17, he was the high school champion for his state of Oregon and the runner-up in the overall state championship, as well as successes abroad. Most recently, he played in the fourth Split Open of Split Croatia, where he finished undefeated in fourth place in a field that included GMs and IMs. Taliansky was one of five students last year to receive the U.S. Chess Scholar Chess Player Award. Outside of chess, he, uh, Seth is an inspiring neuroscientist who would like to understand the role of the brain in aging and the aging of the brain itself. For the last year, he has been working with a Stony Brook University professor on a computational model of aging in the visual cortex. Taliansky is also passionate about geography and diplomacy. 
and develops entrepreneurship initiatives among youth in other countries through Global Youth Entrepreneurs, the not-for-profit student-run organization he co-leads. Ave Gupta and Seth Taliansky, welcome to One Move at a Time. Thank you so much, Dan, for that uh, kind introduction. It's a real pleasure to be here, and um, we're super excited to get to share some of what we've been doing with the broader U.S. chess community through this podcast. Yes, thank you, Dan. Yeah, you're welcome, and, I, and I, I'm sure you've been told, but you guys are both ridiculously talented in many areas. Uh, thank you, yeah. I mean, you know, I just feel really lucky to have had the opportunity to work with, you know, amazing people like Seth and to do all the other initiatives that I do, and it's been it's been a really fun high school experience, and I'm excited to continue all this in college next year and also just for the rest of my life. Now, I, I first became aware of the two of you and your efforts through a very well-written press release that you sent me. I don't think the average high school student has any idea that a press release is even a thing. How did the two of you become so media savvy? Um, well, I mean, uh, I think, I think we, our, our, our chess club work is always focused on on outreach, or that that's been one of its one of its main tenets, and, and for that you have to you have to get um uh, um you have to be able to 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 share what you do with the community and, and get the word out to the community, um and 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 uh, get 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 its support so that and, and, and media is, is is the is the best best way we we know how to do that. Um, yeah, I think very early on when we started this chess project back in 2015, we decided that we don't really call ourselves a chess club necessarily. We're Catlin Gable, the name of our school, Catlin Gable Chess. It's not like a club in the insular sense of you know people just meeting to play with each other. It's a club that reaches out to the community and seeks to involve others in chess and to share our passion for others. And as Seth said, one of the best ways to do that is through the media. And so, you know, it's definitely been a learning process over the four years of how to work effectively with media. But we're super excited and honored that you liked our press release and that you're having us as guests on the show. Now, as I understand it, uh, because you said you guys founded it, there there was no history of chess at Cal- Catlin Gab- Gable School. Is that correct? Uh, we, we believe there was some history of chess. There have been there have been some previous clubs, um, just uh, you know, small small student initiatives here, maybe maybe some you know meetups in, in past years. But there hasn't ever been anything of this of this scale. Or um, I would say of, of this, uh, yeah, this of this impact that, that we've we've been able to achieve over our time. Let me read a little bit from the website of, uh, about exactly what kind of school Catlin Gable is. Uh, it's an independent, non-sectarian, progressive, co-educational day school serving 770 students from preschool through 12th grade. The mission of the school is to support inspired learning, leading to re- responsible action through dedicated teaching caring relationships, a challenging curriculum, and community service. And the, the website is uh, catlin.edu. So uh, why don't you talk a, a little bit about how your initial, um, uh, uh, I guess, did you have to approach faculty to set up a chess program uh, and, and how easy or difficult was that? Um, yeah, so Seth and I actually, so Seth came to Catlin in ninth grade. Catlin is a K through 12 school. So I'd been here since part of elementary school. And Seth and I had known each other having squared off, I think, in the competitive circuit as well as playing. We actually played basketball against each other. And so Portland's not a super big city. So we knew each other. And when Seth came to Catlin, I was super excited because I was starting to get back into chess just from like playing online and stuff. And so I was really glad that he wanted to start a chess 
Golden is such a strong player, you know, future national master would be coming to campus. And so right on, we decided to take on this initiative along with two of our other friends, uh, Hanson Leon and Mathis Limpetamarong, who are also avid chess players and remain involved in the club to this day. And I think one of the great things about Catlin is how supportive the administration has been of our, you know, our efforts throughout these four years. Like, I can't think of that many other schools who would be willing to not necessarily just financially support, but also just condone the idea of students going to represent their school uh, to start a chess federation in Africa. And so that, I think that sort of attitude towards student initiatives manifested itself in the ease with which we were able to create the club. All All we had to do was to secure a faculty advisor um, we've had the same faculty advisor for four years. His name is Peter Schulman. His son used to play chess back when he went to Catlin. He was one of the leaders of the chess clubs of days gone by. And Peter also enjoys playing himself on the side. And so he was happy to serve as our advisor, and he's continued to support the efforts that we've been working on throughout our four years here. If, if I could just expand on that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so as, so as, Avi's, uh, as Avi said, uh, we've had a very supportive faculty advisor, and, 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 not, and not, just, not just Peter. I mean, the, the great thing about here is that the, the, the adult community is, is very supportive of, of, of student initiatives. So we, we've had Peter, we've had our Spanish teachers, uh, Lauren and Enrique, who have been with us on this Equatorial Guinea project since its start. Uh, we've, we have a very supportive, um, uh, the, the media team at the school has, has been very helpful to us. Um, um, Ken, who, who helped write the press release, so so it it really wouldn't have been possible without the help of all these people. How many students are uh, like officially members of the chess program? Well, I think the chess program is so multifaceted here that it depends how you count, right? So we have students who are on our varsity and junior varsity chess teams. Those students number around fifteen. We usually have five on each team playing on any given day, but sometimes people can't play, or sometimes people play extra games instead of playing for the team. But there's also chess club meetings, which occur just for playing during lunch. A lot more students come to those. And we also run on-campus events. So we have different, for example, our school has these advisories that are students grade 9 through 12 and a small group of about a dozen students and two teachers so to sort of develop cross-grade friendships. So we have those CNCs, as they're called, play against each other in a tournament that's called CNC Chess that gets very competitive. Um, and so a lot more students are involved in that. And so... In total, I think as many as 80 students, which is about a quarter of our student body here in the high school, have been involved at one time of chess in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a volunteer at an event, a participant in an in-school event, or as a member of the varsity chess team. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and you, you also see people playing in the library just on chess.com. Uh, you see people playing with, with each other in the lounges. So, I mean, there are people um, who, who, you know, who, who play here informally, too. So chess... Chess has become quite a, quite a quite a big big aspect of culture here. Now, your team just won its third consecutive uh, state championship, and I, for, you know, for most, I'd say I'd say for almost all uh, high school chess teams, uh, you know, that would be a, a crowning achievement. But I, I suspect <laughs> that that almost isn't the point of, of, of your guys' interest in chess. It's, it's all these other programs that are really floating your boat. Is, is that a fair statement? I would say for sure, for sure. I mean, that, that's where we spent most of our, most of our time and I guess most of, our, most of, the, um, yeah, most of the energy or um, uh, yeah, uh, interest we, we, we invest, we invest in, in, in Cal and Gable chess right, rather than the Cal and Gable chess team or chess club. Um, that, that's where they go in these initiatives. Rather than just competitive victories, which are nice, but but not not our not not our focus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, go ahead, Avi. Sorry. Um, 
I also think that by working to promote chess and to share chess with our community, um, my passion for chess has increased. And because of that, I've become personally, I think, a better player. And I think that because our Catlin Gable chess team members and Catlin Gable chess members work so closely with each other outside of the competitive format, it gives us a level of team cohesion that wouldn't be possible otherwise. And I think that's contributed to our competitive success. So um, let's get into that uh, in more detail. And I'm, I'm going to read another big section from your press release. And I'm sorry, listeners, I try not to do too much reading and try to let the guests do as much of the talking as possible. But I think uh, you'll find this interesting. It'll kind of inform the rest of this episode. Um, so the Catlin Gable Chess Program, they, they are committed to promote, promoting the game of chess and supporting players throughout the world. They have focused their efforts on communities where interest in chess is high, but resources are scarce, and established working partnerships. Much of their cross-cultural support occurs online, but team members have also traveled great distances to meet with their counterparts and offer their help as organizers and advocates. The chess club hand-delivered chess sets to children in Shahul, Guatemala, donated chess chess clocks to a chess club in Orid, Macedonia, organized an online match with a high school chess club in Jackson, Mississippi, and traveled to Equatorial Guinea in Western Africa to organize that nation's first open chess tournament. So let's talk a bit about how you came to choose each of these locations and the challenges you face getting there, financial and otherwise. Um, you know, Avi, why don't you start with Equatorial Guinea? How, how did that end up on your radar? Yeah, so Equatorial Guinea uh, came out of a Spanish project that Seth and I actually did for class sophomore year. It was originally Seth's project for the assignment, but as it became more than just a project into a broader initiative, I joined on with him pretty early on. So the project was to investigate a sport in a subset of Spanish-speaking countries. Now, Seth, being the avid chess player he is, he chose to investigate the sport of chess in um, five Spanish-speaking countries. And one of the five countries he chose was Equatorial Guinea, which is unique in the Spanish-speaking world as the only Spanish-speaking country in Africa. And so that's how we got interested in Equatorial Guinea in the first place. And the story of how we came in contact with local counterparts there is an entirely different, you know, longer story. But that's how Equatorial Guinea came on our radar. How many of you traveled? Was it just the two of you or did additional program members go? Uh, it was uh, the two of us and then uh, our uh, two other uh, Cal chess members, Duncan Soifer and Sean Wanzoli. Now, it would be difficult en- enough for, for me to get there living in the Atlanta area, but you, know, you guys are traveling from the West Coast. Uh, d- d- describe the journey. Yeah, so traveling to Equatorial Guinea from the West Coast takes about 24 hours. And so when you factor in the approximately nine-hour time difference, usually, to better get daylight savings, it becomes a pretty long journey. And so our particular itinerary was from Portland, Oregon, where we lived, to Vancouver, British Columbia, from there to Frankfurt. And then in Frankfurt, you can actually take a plane on Lufthansa that stops in Lagos, Nigeria, and continues to Malabo, which is the capital of Equatorial Guinea. Um, On our way there, we definitely had some travel snafus, mainly because of the fact our plane got delayed leaving from Vancouver. And so then we ended up just sort of running through the Frankfurt airport, accompanied like on the back passages and behind a Lufthansa attendant who was trying to tell us the exact back route you could take to get to our gate. And we barely made it in time, which was great because it's not that easy to get to Malabo from Frankfurt if you don't make your flight, since there's only one per day. And so um, the travel experience, and even on the way back, there were some issues with baggage and stuff. So traveling to Equatorial Guinea is definitely a really fun experience. Um, but it was certainly worth it for you know the importance of the mission we were trying to undertake. 
And Seth, uh, do, when you propose a, a program like this to to your school, is there a very formal process you have to go through? Do you have to like print out a plan and present it to administration? Uh, how does that work? Um, well, there was there was some of that, but um, the school wasn't involved on the or hasn't been involved in this project or the trip at a at a very. Um, you know, at an official, at an official administrative level, um, it's more that uh, we've had our Spanish teachers as resources to help us with, with um, uh, communications with with the, our, our, our uh, collaborators in Equatorial Guinea, um, and um, the school um, provided us some gifts to, to take to take to um, to Equatorial Guinea. Um, but uh, mostly, this has been a. I mean, it really has been a Cal and Gable Chess student-led initiative. Uh, in that sense, yeah. it's got to be a very expensive undertaking. Did you have to do any kind of fundraising efforts to to get there? Yeah, well, um, traveling to Equatorial Guinea is obviously an opportunity that not very many people have. And, uh, we feel very fortunate to have had the support of our parents in undertaking this mission. Um, the chess club as a whole has undertaken pretty extensive fundraising over the course of its existence, primarily through the organization of scholastic tournaments. But we've always tried wherever possible to devote those funds to the direct accomplishment of the missions we are undertaking at Capitola Guinea. So, for example, instead of spending the funds on travel, we preferred to finance the donations of clocks and sets that the people there would uh, use in order to actually play and learn chess. And so we feel very lucky to have had the support of our parents in funding our travel there and so that we could focus on using the funds we did have at the chess club uh, to support the development of chess programs in Equatorial Guinea. Seth, do you happen to know if Equatorial Guinea is a FIDE member nation? Well, Dan, we have great news to uh, <laughs> uh, to announce to announce today to you, actually, because a few days ago, um, our uh, our uh, our friends in Equatorial Guinea um, obtained the provisional membership from FIDE uh, for their uh, national association. And uh, hopefully, that the, the hope is that this fall, um, FIDE will will um, uh, or, uh, will designate designate the Equatorial uh, Guinea Association as a full as a full member. So, so yes, um, uh, progress is being made rapidly rapidly in that direction. Listeners, it may have sounded like we had uh, uh, planned that little reveal, but that was purely serendipitous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that it actually wasn't even in the initial press release. It's um, a very yeah. development, and we're. So, you know, prior to our collaboration with our counterparts down in Equatorial Guinea, there was no national association or any sort of national organization for chess in Equatorial Guinea. And so by working with them, we've been able to help them establish this national association and then now, just in the past week, convert that into a national federation that's recognized by FIDE. And we're super excited for all the possibilities that will lead to, including, you know, Equatorial Guinean participation in Olympiads, for example, in travel abroad. And so we're very excited for this development, and we, you know, we commend the efforts of everyone down there who's worked so hard to make this dream a reality. Do you know about how many members uh, of, of their federation there are in that country? And there are, uh, I think, maybe 10, 10 to 15 core members, and then they've involved dozens of, uh, of uh, Equator- Equatorial Guinea players of all ages and in, their, in their tournaments at this point. I think they, they're holding weekly tournaments in Malabo, the capital, um, and then uh, a few nice ho- a few hotels have kindly kindly um, offered themselves up as venues, um, so that that front that front is is is, is growing. 
Um, and also in, in, the, in the other um, principal city in the country, Bata, which is on the mainland in the commercial capital, um, uh, there's also a, a branch of the association there, and, and, and they've been holding tournaments there too. And, um, and I, I think they've also had dozens, dozens of, uh, of, of players involved. So. It's worth mentioning with with that uh, those numbers that you mentioned that in FIDE's governance structure, uh, when it comes to voting, uh, Equatorial Guineas will have exactly one vote, just like the U.S. Chess Federation has exactly one vote. It's it's it's, it's interesting how those numbers work sometimes um, with, with with our our ninety four thousand members here at U.S. Chess. Mm-hmm. Let's let's jump all the way back to the U.S. and the Deep South. You you gentlemen organized an online chess match with Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Abby, uh, t- tell us how you chose Jackson and the, the school, what school specifically it was. Yeah, so um, we're, I'm a big fan of, and I know I probably shouldn't endorse an official chess site, but I like using chess.com to play chess online sometimes. <laughs> um, and also chess.com is a supporter of our Equatorial Guinea project, full disclosure, they've donated memberships and such. But I was browsing the blog section of the website and I encountered a series of posts from a teacher at the Wingfield School in Jackson, Mississippi, detailing her efforts to engage local youth there in chess. And, you know, that's it's a very underserved community, the Wingfield School District. And this teacher was trying to sort of keep these kids occupied and help engage them in school as well as give them some constructive activities that they can do with their time when they're often, instead of going home to maybe unsafe or unstable home environments. And after reading these posts, I um, I reached out to the teacher, and via email, offering you know to provide maybe some chess resources we had and to play an online match with the kids, and that's how we originally became involved with this particular school in the Deep South. Would that happen to have been Monique Henderson that you reached out to? Henderson? Yes. Um, Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember her name. We actually did a. Uh, an article about the Wingfield School in Chess Life magazine. Um, so I, I, I wonder if it was the. We must have had the same connections there. So, but 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 uh, listeners, I will uh, look up that article uh, about the school and, and post it in in the information section for this podcast. Yeah, and I, I just remembered her name is Elizabeth Thrasher. She teaches math there. Okay, great. Thank you. It's probably not that easy to set up an, an online match? What, what are some of the, the challenges, uh, technological and otherwise, in, in doing so? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is obviously there is a significant time difference and, you know, playing, doing school for either party would be difficult. And so we appreciate their willingness to be flexible with their afternoon, with scheduling a special meeting at their club to play against us. Um, you know, these kids come from very different backgrounds and communities than we do. And so, for example, during a match, one kid actually had... Um, I guess what could be described as an emotional breakdown, not necessarily as a result of chess, but just because of the pressure he's under and the environment that he's engaging with outside of chess. And so it was very, it was a very sad experience to witness that. And it just highlighted the inequities that persist even in today's society. But technologically speaking, um, the internet has really served to facilitate a lot of these long-term connections without which our work in Equatorial Guinea, you know, 
in Mississippi and Macedonia would not be possible. And so we're very excited about the future of online chess and very grateful for the opportunities it's provided us to share our passion with ch- for chess across state and national lines. And um, Seth, another international trip you made was to Guatemala to hand deliver chess sets. How was that country chosen? Actually, Dan, that, that was Avi who, who traveled to, uh, to Guatemala. So uh, Avi, please go ahead. Yeah, so this is, again, part of um, the Spanish language program that we've had here at Catlin Gable. And I think it's very interesting. Just, I think Seth and I are both pretty passionate about learning languages, particularly Spanish. And that served to develop these cross-cultural connections that we wouldn't have had the opportunity to have otherwise. And so the Guatemala trip is a Catlin Gable and Oregon Episcopal School joint global education program that leaves every two years. And it travels every year to a specific village in Guatemala called Chahul, which is in the province of El Quiche, Guatemala. And that's a predominantly Mayan indigenous community. It's very poor and it's sort of nestled in the mountains, very isolated from the rest of Guatemala. And many of the kids there actually are learning Spanish as their second language. And so Catlin and OES have had a longstanding partnership with this community dating back over a decade. And so we actually traveled there. I brought some chess sets that the chess club um, funds were used to finance. And I was able to deliver them to a local organization there called Limitless Horizons Ishiles. And Ishiles the name of the native Mayan people who live there. And so hopefully those chess sets are still being put to good use in the community library they have there, where I put it in the game corner. And I'm hopeful that that chess would also become a a part of the culture in Chahul, Guatemala, just like it has here at Catlin Gable and in Equatorial Guinea and in Macedonia and in Mississippi. And you donated chess clocks to Macedonia. That's the, your, the only other international effort listed in your press release. Chess clocks are an expensive thing. How, how did, where did you get the money? Was, did, would, did someone sponsor that? Uh, so, yes, th- thanks for asking about that. Um, in, in terms of the, the, the funds for the clocks, those came from our 2018 uh, tournament that, that we ran at, 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 at the school here, or at our school, um, and we had, I think, 150 players from from all around from all around the region um, come uh, come to the tournament, and um, from 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 the proceeds proceeds we we, we, we got from that event, um, we were uh, thankfully able to to support um, or or to finance finance the finance the um, I guess the, the purchase and shipment of these clocks to Macedonia, and and why Macedonia? Well. Um, we have a classmate here, um, Avi, or one of um, Avi's and my classmates is involved with the what's called the Macedonia Schools Project, which is a nonprofit initiative um, that um, seeks to supply sports equipment to under underserved schools in Macedonia, um, including um, in, in the town of Ohrid, and uh, we we sort of partnered with 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 our classmate on on that. And um, we, we, we sent the clocks over there to the Lasker Chess Club. Um, that's that's uh, what the club is uh, what, what the club is called. And, and and to this day, we are we continue to to uh, collaborate with the Lasker Chess Club. And right now, actually, we are in the process of organizing a um, online match between um, uh, Cal and Gable uh, lower school players or um, elementary age players and uh, players at the Lasker Chess Club who are I think um, ages six to six to ten. Uh, so that's something we're really excited about. It's all remarkable. And this this kind of question always sounds a little bit like, okay, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> um, so what what's on the horizon? Uh, what countries do you hope to visit? Are there any particular trips in the works right now? Yeah, so 
like Seth said, we're trying to organize an international chess match between not only Lasker chess club players in Macedonia and Catlin Gable players here, but we also hope to ultimately include perhaps Wingfield players from Mississippi and Equitoganian players from the National Chess Association there. But more broadly, I think, as Seth and I sort of pass out of our roles as co-presidents of Catlin Gable Chess, we'll be handing that off to the next generation of Sean and Duncan, who have been involved with the club since during their time in high school. We're thinking about how to formalize our efforts at a broader scale. And I don't know if we've necessarily figured out what our next steps are, but I know that both of us are really passionate about chess and about sharing our passion for chess with others. And so I know that we're going to continue working on these initiatives as we progress through college and beyond. Are you both seniors right now? Thankfully. <laughs> yes, the, the school year is, is, is winding down. Um, do you have any particular college plans that you're able to announce at this point? Um, I think we're both weighing options right now. We're trying to figure out what programs and schools will be best suited to our interests. Um, I, I know one thing is that I'm not going to be going to college in Oregon. I love Oregon. But it's time for a change. And so I'm super excited to get to experience, hopefully, a different part of the country for the next four years. Yeah, so the same is, the same is true for me. Um, and uh, I know that uh, wherever Avi and I go, we're going to, as, as Avi said, uh, stay involved in this, in, this line of, in this line of work and seek out uh, fellow chess players at, uh, um, at our colleges and... Um, yeah, keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that once you've seen Equatorial Guinea, how are they going to keep you down on the farm in Portland? <laughs> uh, no, they won't. Yeah. They won't, yeah. It's also that, I mean, we're, we're really hopeful that um, we'll remain continually involved with the Equatorial National Chess Federation now that it is indeed a federation. And so we're fortunate enough to have been named by the president of that association as official advisors, international advisors to the federation. So well, I, I personally... Seth and I, I think are both angling for positions as Olympiad team coaches. So we're hopeful wherever the next Olympiad is held, I think 2020 is in Siberia. I don't know if Equatorial Guinea will make it to that one, but 2022 Olympiad, we will hopefully see the U.S. team there. Do you happen to know, can any team that wants to play uh, send an, send a team to the open section or is there any kind of minimal qualifying standards for the Olympiad? Uh, no, there uh, we don't. I don't believe there are any minimum qualifying standards because I think in the in the last Olympiad there were several teams whose players were all unrated. Avi, uh, as a Jeopardy fan, I have to ask the question. Tell tell us about your Jeopardy experience. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I um, my tournament. I'm on a contestant on the 2019 Jeopardy Team Tournament, which is airing the starting the week of June 17th, 2019. So pencil that in your calendars. Check your local affiliate will be on the air that starting that evening for the next two weeks. And um, it was an incredibly amazing experience. I've actually already taped it. I can't say how I did, but I, I got to go to the studio. I got to meet Alex Trebek. I got to meet all the other amazing Jeopardy contestants. And um, while the process to get on the show was definitely long and arduous, I feel super lucky to have made it as far as I did. And um, I'm also very excited for America to see these amazing teenagers, you know, the other 14 amazing teenagers and me on um, the Jeopardy team tournament. So I've noticed over the years that uh, very occasionally there's a chess specific questions and sometimes even a whole category devoted to chess. I don't suppose you were that lucky to get a chess question during your performance. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, you can't even talk about that. I can't okay. even talk about that. No, the NDA is very, very strict. But I can say that Jeopardy is an amazing show. It's been a big part of my life. Um, 
since I was introduced to it by my grandmother at a young age. And it's really a dream come true to actually sort of have stepped into the TV and to be the person on the stage. But um, it's definitely a little nerve wracking to know that my face and my voice will be on millions of Americans TV sets for one night. Do you happen to know if your chess background helped at all in being selected uh, by the production team to be on the show? Yeah, I so I think it's definitely interesting. And I guess, I don't know if your listeners are maybe interested in learning a little bit more about how the Jeopardy selection process works, if you want me to explain that. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, so for the team tournament, whenever the producers of Jeopardy, the powers that be, decide that they want to have a team tournament, they first organize an online test that can be taken online. And um, as it happens, I actually took mine March of last year, 2018, and I didn't take it super seriously. I just thought I was taking it casually as a fan, you know, just a fun 20-minute thing, answer some trivia questions on my laptop. I actually took it in the middle of a mock trial scrimmage, and it wasn't really a big deal. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then suddenly in June 2018, you know, right after school got out for the summer, my phone rang. And it was a Culver City, California number. And I normally don't answer these calls, but I picked it up that time. And it said, um, you've been selected for an audition for the Jeopardy Teen Tournament. Please come to San Francisco on this day and time. And I was just like, that's got to be a scam. And, you know, so we checked and everything checked out. And so next thing I knew, in July, I was heading to San Francisco for a day to audition for Jeopardy. And when I walk into the audition, it's in kind of this hotel, kind of like one of those hotel conference rooms that's below the lobby of the hotel. And I walk in, there are kids there just like reading big books of trivia. Someone has like a book of presidential trivia and they walk in. They're like, hi, did you know that George Washington grew hemp? I'm like, uh, yes. And it was clear to me that there were a lot of really smart kids there. And I was like, okay, okay. You know, it's been a fun ride. I get to have my audition, but I don't think I'm ever going to make it on the show. And so as we went through the audition, first they had you take a test. Then they had you play a little bit of Jeopardy. And then they had you actually do a stand-up interview, sort of an extended version of what Alex does on the show. And as I went through that process, I actually became successfully more confident. And I think chess has definitely helped with that in giving me sort of the nerves and the grit to get through a not necessarily competitive experience, but a tough experience like that. And um, to make these sort of decisions that you have to make every single move in chess and on every single question in jeopardy with clarity and conviction and so i think chess definitely helps with decision making and as well as just giving me something interesting to talk about in the interviews there boy that's that sounds like it was a lot of fun and i i, I certainly i can't wait and i'm sure a lot of our listeners will will all be pulling for you and, and you said that's mid mid-june right yes week of june 17th and um, okay. i can't i can't say officially what day my episode will or my episode or possibly episodes will be airing but I, the first round, the quarterfinals of the tournament will air that week. So I will be on it sometime that week. So, gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun. But before I let you go, I'm going to hit you both with a, a question that's related to the fact that we are currently celebrating our 80th anniversary at U.S. Chess. So I'm going to begin with, with you, Seth. And, and Avi, you get the advantage of having more time to answer this question uh, or to think about it. But, but so, Seth, what has chess meant to you? Do you really have to do this to me, Dan? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if I can generate tears, <laughs> all the better. Well, first of all, congratulations to U.S. Chess on 80 years. That's, that's really remarkable. Um, what has chess meant to me? Um, well, I think I can attribute um, every, um, or, you know, a, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of the things that I do, or I guess a lot of the, a lot of the joy I've had in life 
to chess. I mean, directly through through playing and meeting people, meeting people at tournaments and at camps, and and I guess forming a, um, a being being part of an intellectual intellectual community uh, and nurturing intellectual community, which which I don't think exists really in, in too many other places. Um, but also indirectly, um, I can attribute um, uh, it, it to so like my my interests in, in neuroscience and um, in languages and um, in um, I guess in, in, in writing also um, to to chess um, because it's 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 really made me made me love um, exercises of the mind and and always seeing 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 beyond beyond the horizon or. Um, uh, in terms of like calculation and 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 um, being um, being interested in, in in different kinds of in different kinds of positions and, and, and ways to, ways to move forward very metaphorically, um, so I, I hope that I hope that someone answers your question. <laughs> oh, it absolutely does. You see, sometimes when you're put on the spot, you get the best answers. So that was that was a great answer. Thank that you. That was that was beautiful, um, Seth. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so and and Avi, same same question to you. Um, uh, although you must put yours in the form of a question. Oh no, <laughs> never, never again, right? Um, right. If I, if I have to answer in the form of a question, it's what is autonomy? And I think when you're a kid, a lot of what you do in your daily routine in your life is sort of dictated for you. You know, you have to go to bed at this time. You eat what's given to you. You go to school. You take the classes you have to take. Right. But for me, chess was the first place where I was able to exert a sense of ownership or of autonomy over my own decision-making, and I learned to be accountable for my actions. Because I think when you're young, your parents can sometimes shield you from the consequences of your actions. Unfortunately, my parents cannot save me from hanging a queen in the state championship or whatever. <laughs> and so I think the level of personal responsibility that that has inculcated in me has allowed me to do a lot of the other initiatives. And you know, more specifically, I think... The experiences I've had with chess, the people I've met, like Seth, like Hanson, like Mathis, like everyone in Equatorial Guinea, in Macedonia, in Chahul, in Mississippi, that I've corresponded with have shaped me in ways that I can't even begin to comprehend. And I, so I think I owe a lot to chess for giving me this confidence and the latitude to express myself and to express my personal autonomy, as well as introducing me to just this broader perspective outside of my little you know, our little corner of the United States up here in Portland, Oregon. Again, that's a wonderful answer. And and again, gentlemen, th this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, you, The work that you are doing uh, speaks so directly to our mission statement, all three prongs of empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. I, I suspect that the uh, seeds you've sown at the Catlin Gable School are going to grow not just there, but, but well beyond. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 educational nonprofit. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the Join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the Donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.